Please, please be seated. Uh, thank you, Jeremy and team, for leading us in worship. Come on up, Will. Um, appreciate that. I know this is a, a long weekend day, and so I really appreciate you guys being here and helping out with that. Uh, so I don't know if you knew this, but January 1st is actually National Youth Pastor Preaching Sunday. No, if you didn't catch that, <laughs> that that's actually Will's joke. Uh, Will is our youth pastor, and when I asked him to, to, to speak on uh, today, and he says, you mean on National Youth Pastor uh, Preaching Sunday? I says, yeah, for sure. Why not? So uh, now uh, he's going to come and share, and as we talked about it, I said, why, why don't you share just a bit about uh, youth uh, and some of the struggles and challenges facing youth today? And so so some of this message is, is about how uh, we can understand our youth better and how we can pray for them more effectively and lead them. And so I really appreciate Will. If you don't know Will, Will has started on staff team with us here in, was it June? I think, no, it was May. May. So in May, and uh, he's done just an excellent job in leading our junior high and senior high. Uh, he's a, a person that's full of energy, and so that's another reason why we put him on here, because uh, if you stayed up too late last night, you know, if it was my soothing voice, maybe you would doze off here, but with Will, you'll, you'll keep alive here. So I just want to pray for Will as he comes to share. So Father, thank you so much for Will. Uh, thank you for your gifting upon him. Thank you for bringing him to this church, and now may your hand of anointing be upon him, and may you, you speak through him. Not just uh, words of wisdom that he has for us, but may, you, may your word come alive through him and to us. And then as we listen and as we ponder our lives and as we think of the youth around us, whether they're our children or grandchildren or our friends or our family's friends, that you would help us understand the importance of walking with you and that we might know you and that we might follow you. And so would you open our ears today and help us to receive from you? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much, Leighton. Yes, it's National Youth Pastors Preaching Day, so I'm so glad you guys showed up for it. I'm so excited. You don't even know. So like Leighton said, my name is Will, and I serve as the youth pastor here at Ebenezer, and literally my opening line was because last night was New Year's Eve. My New Year's promise is to keep you guys awake today, but I think Leighton already stole that one. <laughs> it's great. But seriously, though, it's 2023, and it's a new year for us to form into the person of Jesus, into his ways, and walk in his life. And it's a super incredible thing to do. And I am beyond honored to be able to kick off that year and walk alongside with you all in God's word this morning. And I do not take that lightly. So today I have something, and again, Layton kind of already alluded to it, that is actually very close and dear to my own heart, and that is the state of youth ministry in Canada today. But before we get into that topic, I think it's super important for us as followers of Jesus to hear what exactly is going on in youth culture today. What is the state of youth ministry? But before we do that, I want to quickly pray once again, just to reorientate my heart as it's super helpful for me to do that. So please just quickly pray with me once again, friends. So Jesus, we pray that you would make me less so that you could become great, that this message would come with love, with passion, with humility, with compassion, and Father, that we would be able to hear the words that you are drawing out to us today, and Holy Spirit, that you would come into our lives and that you would inspire, convict, and be with us in this room. So I pray this in your name. Amen. So youth in Canada are leaving the church and leaving the Christian faith. By show of hands, who has heard that statement before? Right, about 
50, 75-ish percent of us here. We as a church face ourselves in a pluralistic, which means a diversity of religions and beliefs, a post-Christendom society, which means a society no longer influenced by Christian beliefs and ideals, and Christianity itself statistically has been on the downturn in the last few decades, especially, and I mean especially, when it comes to faith retention among youth. We see from statistics from five years ago, 66% of youth who grew up in the church, who grew up in the church, leave the church when they grow up. 50% of youth who grow up in the church leave their faith altogether once done high school. I want that to sink in for a second. 50% leave it altogether. 66% leave the church. This is an alarming statistic, and I think there's no other way to say it. The stats come from a survey done by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada in 2018, a survey called Renegotiating Faith. The survey told us a simple and alarming thing, that youth in Canada are leaving and losing their faith. And more specifically, the survey observed 2,000 youth-aged kids who were very involved in their church as a teen, and they watched what happened five to seven years later. And honestly, in the past five years, I would not be surprised if these statistics have gotten worse. It is significant and scary. Youth are abandoning Christianity today, and that is the state of youth ministry. Youth are the church of today, and are the church leaders of tomorrow. And we are called to make disciples of all the nations, but yet our own are falling away. So I suppose the question we need to ask is this. What is going sideways in our church today, in the church today? What is going sideways in youth ministry today? And maybe the one that hits the bullseye is, why are people abandoning Christianity? And where I want us to ground ourselves today, to set precedence and to find ourselves and what is going on, is found right in the scripture. So we're going to open our Bibles to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9, famously known as the Shema, a Hebrew word meaning what is most important, meaning here this. And I want us to hear this. And the book of Deuteronomy says to inform what we need to ground ourselves for today. So if you brought your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it'll also be on the screen behind us. This passage speaks volumes into what it means to pass the faith on to our next generation. And this is where I want to ground ourselves in. So let's read together. The Word of God says this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, and when you are on the road, and when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands, and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost to your house and on your gates. I want to start with this. This is a significant passage. In context, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9, the Shema, was written to the people of Israel approximately 3,000 years ago. And it wasn't just any passage that we would find in the Old Testament, but this is an actually particularly special passage known as Israel's Pledge of Allegiance to God, the fundamental truth of what Israel stood by, and etc. This passage in scripture is key to how Israel understood the heart of God and their call in life to follow him. 
This passage in scripture begins by saying, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. In context, we look at Israel's history in the Old Testament when Israel faced droughts, famines, or even when Moses to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments for a period of time, Israel would turn their back on God and they would seek false idols. Idols in the sense of creating false gods over Yahweh, the name of our God. And because God is the Lord of the universe, the one who's created us, who loves us, who walks with us, he asks us first that we would love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. In God's unique nature, in God's work in the Israelites' life, God's promises must stir up love for him in our lives because that's what he deserves. God's love is all-encompassing. It's everywhere. And God calls the Israelites first to acknowledge that, that he is God alone, and that we are to love him with all our heart. We also know from this passage, it is known as the great, one of the greatest commandments. If we fast forward another thousand years in the Gospels, we see from the very works of Jesus and all four Gospel accounts that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. So this commandment we find from Jesus is referring and telling the world is derived from very, this very passage. And Jesus confirms that loving God and loving others is the two most important things. So the first thing we see in Deuteronomy that we cannot miss is that we have a responsibility to have an interior life to love God and to love others. It is so key we don't miss that. But the very next thing that flows out of the devotion to God is interesting. The very next thing that God says in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 to 9 is to pass on our love for God, our faith, onto our children. And I want to focus in on this idea. It's almost like God knows how important it is to model and talk and walk the importance of loving God to our children. We see that God calls the Israelite people to repeating the essentials, talking about it on home, on the road, when we're in bed, when we're getting up. The passage tells us this, that we're called to a way of speaking our faith to our next generation that happens 24-7. And I want to push this even further. The passage isn't just telling us about our next generation, telling them about God, but revealing how we can model our faith to our next generation, to our children. To God, passing on our faith onto the next generation is essential, and it can't be missed. Perhaps part of why God gives such a high calling to loving him alone and loving others is because God knows that our interior lives and how we model our faith to other people is beyond crucial. I was in this youth ministry coaching lab to learn how to be a better youth pastor, and I still do it, and it's awesome. But one thing a guest speaker said is, what you communicate to your youth is actually not important. I'm like, come on, man, I totally disagree, and also you're disregarding a lot of what I do. And then he went on to say, well, it's not necessarily true, but what you communicate is not even close to how important the life that you're living. And that hit me. One can preach or communicate a great message or sermon, but if one's not living an actual life to pursue God and to pursue loving others, it'll be worthless. And in fact, it'll actually be worse than worthless. And I was like, yes, that person is so right. And we see this right in this passage that God asks of his people to pass on our faith to our kids by telling them about it, but also by modeling our faith to allow them to discover 
who God is and to repeat his ways to them, to talk about them all the time and to always be modeling our faith to the next generation day in and day out. And then this passage tells us that we need to tie God's words to our hands, wear them on our forehead, write them on doorposts and gates. And when I usually read that part, I'm like, it reminds me of getting like tattoos of God's commands all over my arms and stuff. It's pretty rad. And then, <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of in my mind. And then in the world, though, what we see this, it's actually really interesting that God's actually just saying that we need to be meditating on God's word day in and day out. And in a world where we're bombarded with various advertisements, just so you know, this is an interesting step. The average human being sees 5,000 advertisements a day. I want you to take that in. 5,000. And it's not healthy. And I think it ties back to God's word, that we need it embedded in our hearts, right? Or else we wouldn't be able to model our faith to our kids, because we actually don't have faith in Jesus ourselves. When I first came to faith myself, I actually had to first flush out a lot of worldly ideologies that I found were just embedded in me. And as I discovered what they were and what they were doing, I kind of replaced them and started to replace them with God's ways, and I slowly started to see change. And I'm not saying I'm fully there yet. No one is. But embedding God's word into us actually does make a difference. And this is what that passage is trying to say. There's a proverb that says you cannot take someone further than where you've gone yourself. Have we not gone somewhere that we want to take our next generation? And in this passage, we see beautifully that God asks us personal devotion to him, a deep love for him, and when we come to a place with that, to pass on our faith to the next generation, that they might also know God and this passage, friends, was written 3,000 years ago, but yet I think the passage is so relevant, meaning it's closely connected to what we're talking about today, and reverent, meaning it has such deep importance today. And this passage is the fundamental truth into faith in God that informs the important things that we see in the youth ministry climate today. So, the problem we face, though, is that this isn't happening, and that youth are leaving the church and abandoning the faith, and it lines up relevantly with Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9. Like we talked about in the Renegotiating Faith survey, it tells us that two-thirds of people who grow up in a church leave their faith altogether once done high school, and 50% leave their faith altogether. In another survey done, there was five top words chosen for the church for youth who left their faith after high school in a survey, turned into a book called Unchristian, a book that talked about findings about what 16 to 29-year-olds were really saying about the church. And here were the five top words said about the church in North America. Number one, irrelevant. Number two, anti-homosexual. Number three, too political. Number four, hypocritical. Number five, judgmental. Now these five things, although from a book done 10 years ago, I think are still true. At least from my experience hanging around people my age and younger, I can definitely say these are consistently coming up in conversation. And I wanna say this clearly. This book or I am not saying we need to fix or change our theological views to fit our agenda today. But what I want to focus on is why are youth leaving their faith and why are they saying things like this about the church? Is it because of these five things? Is it because we're not modeling and teaching God's love? Is it because youth 
are not seeing the transformation God can give and bring to us in life. And when we look deeply into Deuteronomy 6, God calls us to that deep love to him, deep love to others, and to pass that baton of faith on to our next generation. But it doesn't seem like that's happening. Considering 50% of kids leave their faith altogether, and the five chosen words of the church by youth and young adults today who've left their faith were these, is disheartening. These five things definitely play in to the losing of one's faith today, but I actually think it goes much deeper, and it aligns much with what the passage is telling us. I believe fully, and I want you to hear this, that our next generation is leaving the faith because they do not see God being passed down to them, and they do not see God's ways being modeled to their next generation. Our youth are in a crisis. There's an identity crisis people among my age, a belonging crisis among people my age, a purpose crisis among people my age, a mental health crisis among people my age, and more than ever, we need God so bad. But yet, people my age are also turning their backs on him. And that's the current state of youth ministry. So the big question for us today then is how do we help our youth, our next generation, not become a statistic, but as people who can keep the faith to turn around the state of youth ministry? As a person who day in and day out works with youth, I'm heartbroken by the reality of these stats that come out, what people would perceive about the church today or what exactly happens to them after they leave high school. Because to me, it means that these people who leave are not experiencing the goodness of God, and that hurts me, because I do believe he's so good. And I truly believe the church is the body of Christ, a place where true relationship happens. Interestingly, in the Renegotiating Faith Survey, the one that tells us that 50% of kids are leaving their faith, the people who did that same survey found out of the 2,000 youth who were surveyed, the ones who did keep their faith had five common characteristics. And what we're going to do is we're going to explore what these five characteristics are and why they set apart youth who did keep their faith once they grew up. So as we work through these five, I want to notice closely, you'd notice closely, how the Shema, how Deuteronomy is knitted very closely to the survey, even though it was written 3,000 years ago. So we're going to work through the five characteristics, and I think they're worthwhile for anyone to write down, so let me encourage you to do so. So the first characteristic of people who kept their faith among the survey said this. They had parents who modeled their faith to their children. This was very important, and when this happened, faith retention among youth shot up the roof in the survey. Does this not sound like the passage we just worked through? We see also in the book of Proverbs that tells us this piece of wisdom that aligns very closely to these stats. It says this, direct your children onto the right path and when they're older, they will not leave it. If you have had parents who modeled what it means to follow Jesus, that is fantastic and you are very well off. And this was a very important factor. And if you do have children one day, we need to recognize how important a parent's role is in faith development. Biblically, it's a no-brainer. But statistically also, over and over again, we see the same thing. In studies done within churches, we see that parents' influence on their kids are consistently at number one on the chart. A youth pastor is usually like number six or seven, not very high. 
Statistics and psychology reveal that parents are the most significant influence in a child's life, whether for good or for bad. No, not very many exceptions, although there are. So that is number one. <clears throat> the second characteristic for a youth who kept their faith is they experienced God at camp, on a mission trip, or on a retreat. In the survey, the youth who kept their faith long-term experienced God in one of three of these venues. James 2.19 says this, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. I think this passage draws out something simple here. That belief in God, simple belief in God, is not enough. James tells us that we need to have good deeds to have true faith. Psalms 34, 18 elaborates on this as well. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's important. When we are able to experience God, to taste him, and to see him working in tangible and real ways, this has always helped people to understand that God is not just abstract, but he's actually alive and real. And in the passage in Deuteronomy, we are called to not just tell our kids about our faith, but to also model it, that we might actually see Jesus working in our life. And I also want to note that the studies found that when young adults had actually worked at a Bible camp, this was the most powerful of the three for faith formation. Maybe by a show of hands, who has seen God at work while you've been at a Bible camp before? Just by a show of hands. That is a lot of us. That's crazy. It's, that's awesome. Camp is so, so important, which was why me, for, as a youth pastor, I deeply value our youth going to camp, and also for me going to camp to help serve. And also, interesting to note, when we go on missions trips or youth retreats, there are also other important experiences that help us keep our faith. So I just want to say this. If you haven't done that, if you haven't connected with a youth ministry, or you haven't gone on a youth retreat or a missions trip, and you're 11 to 18, I want to plug you in to come to youth. I think we got an awesome group, in my opinion, depending on your age as well. And we also have a young adults group, 18 to 28, also, I think an awesome group. Depending on your age, these places have opportunities to experience God through retreats, missions trips, and also intentional weekly gatherings and among other things that happen. So that's the second thing. Number three, the third characteristic for youth who kept their faith is they had a genuine Jesus-centered community. And it makes total sense. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 tells us this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Youth who found a true Jesus-centered community were able to be built up with a community of other believers to seek God. And it made a huge difference in their faith formation. And as a youth pastor, I think this is one of the biggest pulls to having a good youth ministry, that our youth could experience a place of belonging together. And at this point, we see the timeless truth again in Deuteronomy. We often see faith in Scripture in an individualistic lens, and it's not helpful very often. You see, it was almost assumed 3,000 years ago that the village would help raise up the next generation, that we would come together around a faith community and find a Jesus-centered community together. And it's so crucial. So again, if you're a youth here or you're a young adult, let me again say you need to plug in and find a Jesus-centered community. And the fourth characteristic of youth who kept their faith in the survey we just read out, is these youth got answers to their tough questions. <clears throat> Sorry. 
The youth who kept their faith always had answers to the toughest questions to Christianity. Some of these include, does God really exist? Do you have to choose between science and faith? Do all religions lead to God? Why would God send people to hell? You have to answer these kind of questions. I know for me, I've wrestled through these questions and have come out the other side with a stronger and more profound sense in a relationship with God. We need to find our answers to hard questions. And I just want to say this as well. Google is not a great resource, man. <laughs> By show of hands, who has gone on a Google search rant and it wasn't helpful for you? Just come on, be honest. Yes. If we were all being honest, I think there's a lot of us. And honestly, like, they are not helpful at all. And social media as well, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. These search rants are not helpful. And I've realized that oftentimes they don't give us the profound sense of answer. But when youth did ask mentors and people that they trusted, they came out with a profound faith. And I want to note this, more well thought out answers. Now let me add a part to this point. Part of finding these answers to their tough questions blended in when a, kid's, a youth found a mentor who helped them through these questions and tough times, and the faith retention line also popped up quite a bit. And then back to Deuteronomy. Moses impresses on his people to explain the ways of God to our youth, and I think part of that might include answering the questions of life that everybody has. So, we see that this survey revealed the importance of finding a mentor to help them work through the tough questions in our toughest times. And then lastly, the fifth thing is these youth who kept their faith went to Bible college. People who kept their faith did at least one year of Christian higher education, Bible college, YWAM, or a Cape and Ray, anything like that. Now the statistics in the last four points point that a youth who had at least one of these four things faith retention would go a bit higher. And you cannot fully track down those numbers in the survey, but they're significant. But they did track down this number, and it was very significant what I'm going to share. What's special about Bible college is from the 50% who leave their faith. So the survey said 50% of kids leave their faith after high school. When a, someone goes to Bible college, the statistics turn into 97% keep their faith. It's significant, just on that simple statistic, how much Bible college matters. And if I had to put my thumb on it, because I'm a recent Bible college grad, that according to the survey, that it tells us the first year that we leave high school is honestly a make it or break it year if we choose to follow Jesus or not. At a Bible college, you're in God's word tattooing or nailing the word of God right in yourself, like the Deuteronomy passage says. And also, when you go to Bible college or a Christian higher education place, you are intentionally in an environment where you ask tough questions. You automatically will have a Jesus-centered community. You generally experience God in tangible ways, and it's a natural place to find a mentor. It's actually a crazy big difference how much Christian higher education makes, and I can attest to that as well. So my encouragement to my youth is always this. Seriously and literally, take a gap year and do something. Do Cape and Ray, do YWAM, do a year of Bible college, if not four. And it is expensive, but remember, you don't take your money with you when you die, but your soul and relationship with God does come with you. So, if you are interested in following Jesus long term, let me tell you that you or your youth age kids need to seriously consider just a year of Christian higher education. 
In my experiences, I've found four of these things, and I stand before you as someone who has kept their faith. But I want to share something out of these, all these points with you all. These statistics we see are simply informing us of something very important going on, that these are five things that mark youth who are keeping their faith, and it aligns closely with the faith of parents who pass them on to them in various capacities. And I do want to shed some positive light on the negative things we're seeing overall, that the reality that youth are leaving their faith is sad. It is. And the current state of youth ministry is not really an easy one. It's complicated, it's messy, it's not sometimes disheartening in a lot of ways, but there is light. As I was preparing for the sermon, I had the opportunity to call up a youth ministry expert and a person I look up to, Sid Coop, who serves as the executive director of the Youth Worker Community, an organization that works all across Canada, and I think in the United States as well, to serve, equip, and empower those who are in youth ministry. I wanted to get a pulse from Sid on what he thought and the team at Youth Worker Community because they're working in youth ministries all over the country day in and day out. So when I asked Sid on the phone, Give me a quote on the current state of youth ministry. And where's the hope? Here is what Sid said. He said to me this. Passing faith onto the next generation has never been easy. Ever since Genesis 3, our world has been broken because of sin. And that includes all of us as humans. At the same time, we live in a historical moment with unique challenges. Challenges we have not seen before. But while we haven't seen these challenges, and these challenges seem overwhelming at times to the best of us, they are not overwhelming to our God. He has not been caught off guard, and he is still in control. He has called us and our kids to such a time as this. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work in and through us as well as in and through the next generation, raising them from the dead. In light of this truth, we have hope. We always have hope. And I love what Sid said. That despite the negative statistics we see or whatever, we see glimpses of hope all over the place because God is working in any cultural climate even when there's overwhelming things going on. And we see that there's hope and places that youth today are keeping their faith and making huge steps for God, and it's beautiful. The state of youth ministry may not be in the easiest place at the moment, where we as the church are faced with unique challenges in society, and we're facing negative perceptions that we need to acknowledge, but this can change through us as the church walking together with our next generation and passing that baton of faith onto them. But what do we do with this all? How can we practically take steps to shift this state of youth ministry to maybe a bit of a positive direction? And whether you are a youth today, whether you're a parent of a youth, or none of the above, there are practical and applicable steps for all of us that we can take today. And I have three of them that I want to share. Number one is this, devoting to prayer for our next generation. I want to make a call for us all. We need to devote to prayer for our next generation. Honestly, almost all revival in church history over 2,000 years begins with young people who fly the banner of Jesus who become the next generation of church leaders. So many movements of God is done through our next and upcoming generation, and we need to be praying devotedly for our next generation to rise up and to be this, 
to see our youth to be a generation who raises up to pass that baton of faith onto the next generation after that. And maybe that looks like devoting to prayer for your kids, to your grandkids, whoever you're connected to who is a youth. But I also have a specific idea for all of us. Ebenezer Youth has a WhatsApp group chat for prayer in the youth ministry at Ebenezer Youth. And if you're looking to pray for the specific things going on at Ebenezer Youth, every two weeks I send out prayer requests in our youth ministry WhatsApp chat to be praying for Ebenezer Youth. And I would like you to join that if you are willing. So if that's of interest to you and you want to devote yourself to prayer for Ebenezer Youth, come and find me after the service. And I would love to connect you with that. But if you're looking for more ideas beyond that, I would also love for you to come talk to me too. A second application is this. Teaching our youth the word of God. I can't stress this one enough. There was a survey done by the Angus Reed Institute just last year. It's like a nonprofit statistical organization in Canada that revealed, to say the least, depressing views on Christians in Canada on how they actually view the Bible. The survey revealed that those who claim to be Christian, that say 31% of Christians haven't read the Bible never or in years. Interesting. And 61% of people who claim to be Christians believe all religions teach the exact same things. And that among all Canadians, that there's a by and large misinterpreted view on how we perceive the Bible today. Overall, to me, this means that we're not learning and passing on key foundational truths about the Bible. God's story to his people, us. And we need to pass on the truth of the Bible to our next generation, just as Deuteronomy tells us. Or culture will tell me and my generation how we're supposed to think about the Bible, and largely, it's not helpful. Hebrews 4.12 tells us this, For the word of God is alive and active and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And the Deuteronomy passage also tells us to pass the alive powerful and sharp word of God onto the next generation so that we could carry up the task to pass on the word of God in its relevance, in our face, and its reverence, in its deepness. And then number three, the last thing, walking alongside our next generation. We need to walk alongside our youth, our next generation. And this isn't going to be me trying to sucker you into being a youth leader at Ebenezer Youth, I promise. I do promise that. But I do simply want to say, we need to walk alongside our next generation. Maybe for you, that's talking to me about the potential to lead at youth. That would be cool. We do have various roles and responsibilities with different time commitments from either weekly <clears throat> or month to month. Maybe for you, that is looking for those people who you're connected with, kids, nephews, nieces, neighbors, grandkids, whoever it is to walk with them. But the real call here is to identify the youth-aged kids in your life and to commit yourself to walking alongside them. This means to model the ways of Jesus to them, that is passing the faith on to them, and that's passing God's love on to our next generation. That's the principle. That's what the Word of God says, and I just do want to say, how incredible is it that a passage from 3,000 years ago is so alive and active and embedded into the things that are going on today? showing and revealing the reasoning of these relevant statistics, why youth are or not keeping their faith. So, walking alongside our next generation is modeling and teaching God's ways. But I think 
some practical steps in the right direction out of these statistics, and the five things that are markers for youth who keep their faith are a good start. Perhaps we are looking to connect youth to Jesus in our communities, helping them find opportunities to experience God at camp, missions trips, retreats, answering the hard questions, nudging towards them going to a certain type of Christian higher education institute. There's lots of different things that we can do to walk alongside our next generation. And if you're looking for more specific ideas, or maybe the Holy Spirit's prompting you something that is on your heart, come talk to me, and I would love to talk to you about that. I really would. And maybe you are sitting here today, and you're watching online potentially, and you are the next generation, and you're like, okay, well, what do I do? And this is simply it. Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following. He's worth pursuing. God's ways are best. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, active today. And I say this personally on what I've discovered, but it's actually universally true. We may live in a pluralistic age, multi-religions. We may live in a post-Christendom age, not influenced by Christian beliefs anymore. But we're never in a post-Christ age. It is impossible to live in a post-Christ age because Christ Jesus is everywhere. Jesus created the world. He created you because he loves you and we can never be in a post-Christ culture ever. So for the youth here today, we need to keep our faith. I love the youth that I do get to work with. And it encourages me, inspires me, and lifts me up seeing our next generation taking big steps for God in big ways. <laughs> it actually brings tears to my eyes. To my people, to my grade 6 to 12s, I want to call us all to walk in Jesus' ways together, to overcome negative statistics, to walk towards God in a way that aligns to his heart, not the negative perceptions we see today but in a humility, in a humble way that calls us to align closely to God's word, that allows us to devote our lives to God, to love others, and to pass that faith on to others as well. That's the way of Jesus. And I believe the state of youth ministry can move in a positive direction if we posture ourselves humbly, gracefully, with conviction, and take action to passing the baton of faith onto our next generation, to their next generation, to our next generation of those people, starting with these people who sit in this very church today. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you are here today. That you are alive and active. And I thank you for your word, for your love. And I just pray over the state of youth ministry that you would call your people back to you I ask that you would continue to work and shape Canada and the youth today. And Lord, that you would continue to show us how we can walk alongside our next generation and be people who pass the baton of faith on to the next. And I pray for conviction, for love, and the Holy Spirit that you've inspired us today. And for whatever I've said that has compelled people in a way of you, I pray that you would compel them. And for anything that was not of you, I pray that that would be disregarded. So I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.